Good morning, church. This is 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 15. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of God. Hey, Cross Point, so glad you're with us again for our online service. Uh, as you know, we're going to meet at the YMCA at 1145, so I can't wait to see you soon. This will be the first time that we've taken communion uh, live and in person as the body of Christ in almost 14 weeks. And when we take communion, we're doing two things. We're remembering what Christ has done and we're proclaiming the Lord's death again until he comes. So may we partake in communion and the Lord's Supper together. There'll be a time of worship through song, there'll be a time of worship through prayer, and there'll be a time of worship through receiving the sacraments. And then also next week, big announcement, we are gonna be meeting live and in person at the downtown YMCA at 10 a.m. Man, we are so excited to be together as the church. And we're looking forward to the days where we're not doing any more online services like we are now. Uh, if you can't make it, I want to let you know that we will also provide for you either uh, an online service or a live stream that we're working on diligently uh, to make sure that you can participate in worship for us. We want to give you every opportunity to know that you can be the church at home with us through this season. If that's what's most necessary for you, then we encourage it. And then when we gather together again, we're acknowledging that it's been 14 weeks since we've met together, and there's a lot that has changed around the world, and a lot that has changed us. We've had COVID-19, and then we've also had the tensions regarding racial reconciliation in our country. And as it relates to those tensions regarding racial reconciliation in our country, our elders have wanted to speak to this. We believe it's really important that the word of God shapes the way we view this conversation, shapes the way we view how we act, shapes the way we think, shapes the way we feel, shapes the way we as the body of Christ respond. I don't know if you've noticed, but the missing ingredient in all of the conversation that I've witnessed and experienced in large part has been an absence of the word of God. And so for you, Crosspoint Downtown, for me, for us, we're going to open the word of God together so that we could love the way God has called us to love. We're going to do a series called Doing Good from Micah chapter 6, verse 8, where he says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
We're going to use this passage to show us what it, me- what it looks like to build bridges towards racial reconciliation. Opening God's word, surrendering our hearts, and allowing God to shape us and form us. It's a painful conversation. It's a necessary conversation. Matt Chandler says, if this conversation can't happen in the church, then where else can it happen? It must happen here. So join us next week for this series, either in person at the YMCA or at home with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to speak truth into our lives. We need you to loosen our grip on money. We need you to help us embrace you, Jesus, in your mission, in your kingdom, in your glory, so that we would reflect the generosity of Christ to a lost and broken world. Help us this morning. Amen. All right, so we're continuing our series in generosity. And all through this series, I couldn't help but think about my dad. Because when I did the eulogy for my dad in his celebration of life, I wrote down one word at the top of the page. It's the most accurate word that reflects the life of my dad as I know him and as so many people have known him. It's generous. He's a man that has been generous. And as I thought about what to say, the, the words just poured out, went onto the page. Because my dad taught me a lot about generosity. I wrote these words and I ser- shared them at his ceremony. I said, Dale had a philosophy in life. And that was if he were to err, he would err on the side of being overly generous because he believed he could not outgive God. It was a mindset that God honored and one in which God entrusted him with more and more. Then I looked at the audience that was there. There were several hundred people there. I said, chances are if you're sitting here today, you have been touched in some measure by my father's radical Christ-like generosity. This generosity worked its way through all of his life. Family, friends, employees, clients, his church, waiters. I remembered being at a restaurant with my father and my family and the waiter did a horrible job, but he got an amazing tip because that's just the way my dad was. He always erred on the side of generosity. And man, when I look at the generous heart of my father, it shows me if my dad, who is imperfect, will give good gifts like that, how much more will our father in heaven give good gifts? How much more? He will. He has. He's going to continue. Now, as we're wrapping up, this little mini sermon series on giving from 2 Corinthians. It's important that we take a step back here and we look at the big picture. And when we think about generosity, it's not just about today. It's not just about next week, but it's about how can we be stewards of what God has given us for all of our lives. 
if you or I were to call up a financial planner and ask them to give us a, a, an analysis of our portfolio, if we were to, to uh, unpack some of our, our dreams and ideas financially with these people, they wouldn't ask us, what do we want to do tomorrow? What do we want to do next week? What do we want to do in the, even the next decade? They would reverse engineer a financial plan that begins with the ninth inning of our life. Where do we want to be at the end? And let's put a plan together that allows you to be there. So that's a great way of thinking, but it's limited for Christianity because Christians have to think even more intensely about this question. And the question that we need to ask is, how can we be faithful with the life that God has called me to live for my whole life? And as we do some reverse engineering, we recognize that God has a work to do in our hearts. Here's the big idea that I, wanna, uh, I want us to just have in our heads today as we leave. Have in our heads and our hearts. I give you these big ideas every week, so it's the memorable thing for us from the word of God. And it's this, what we live towards is what we give towards. What we live towards is what we give towards. In other words, our life is facing a direction. And in that direction that our life is facing, our money is going first. And we need to see how God shapes that. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That this is much more to do uh, with our hearts than it has anything to do with money. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And as Paul talks about generosity, and as Jesus talks about money, and as you look at all the words in the Bible, it's not going after your wallet, it's going after your heart. Let's let God go after our hearts right now. We see two things here in the passage, only two points. Hopefully we'll get out of here soon. First point is we are giving for God's kingdom. Giving for God's kingdom, verses 8 through 10. Second point we see is giving for God's glory, verses 11 through 15. Starting at verse 8, and giving for God's kingdom. And God is able to make grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, if we just read just a, a little part in this passage, we capture the heart of the apostle as it relates to generosity for the kingdom of God. Now, when I say the kingdom of God, let me tell you that the kingdom of God, giving to the kingdom of God, is giving to the advancement of the gospel in the hearts of people. <laughs> That's what I mean in giving for the kingdom of God. There is a kingdom work and God's treasure Christ's treasure are the people he created so that they would be redeemed from slavery and brought over to life. 
There would be a trade-off that happens, that the rags of their sin would be closed with the righteousness of Jesus. And that when we give a gift, we are giving for the kingdom of God so that the powers of Satan would be dismantled. And we know as we read this verse that God is able. Look at verse eight. And God is able. Now, that's scary to think about if, if it's up to us. How am I going to do this? How am I going to have ever enough money to do this? How am I ever going to have enough time or resources to do it? And oftentimes we get so depressed by our own inadequacies that we just want to give up because we're looking at our ability rather than the ability of God. But we have a God who is able we, 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 we so often mix up the idea of our self-worth with our net worth. We think our value is directly tied with how much we have. And that is a lie from the pits of hell. And that is how Satan is seeking to distract you and to cause you to be immobile related to being generous for the kingdom of God. But Paul says in Romans 11.35, in almost answering or asking this rhetorical question related to that, or who has ever given a gift to him that he might be repaid? You know, how many of us are able to give, to something, give something to God that God hasn't already given us? Answer? Nobody. Nobody. We can't give back to God anything that truly finds its source in us because everything that we have is a good gift from on high. And so when we give, we are giving back to God. You know, sometimes I think we think that God is in heaven and he's sitting at the computer and he's making these GoFundMe accounts and there's all these needs that are out there and he just keeps on just churning out these GoFundMe accounts because, man, he needs money for adoptions. He needs money for fostering. He needs money to fight human sex slave trafficking. Somehow God needs all this money. But in reality, the sufficiency of God is enough in himself. And he's able. And this God who is able is the one who makes all grace abound to you. To you, to me, to his church. Like, let's not begrudgingly look at the opportunity and the call and the beauty that is before us. It's that while God can do anything he wants to, he chooses us to be his means and methods of generosity for a lost and dying and broken world. All grace abound to you and through you. This is the sufficiency of God in every good work. He's able. Now, we oftentimes have to face our fears, don't we? As it relates to generosity. We, we, I said it a few weeks ago, it's not really greed that oftentimes stops us from giving, but it's fear. You know, we think if I give this, what's going to happen to my needs? Am I going to be able to pay my electric bill? Will I be able to put food on my table? And those needs are genuine. And those needs are shared. And I know as I've lived almost 40 years of life right now, that 
there has never been a uh, there has never been any lack of need in my life. I've continually needed God to provide. But as I think about that, I remember that Jesus is upholding the universe by the word of his power. That God is sustaining all things. And that where we are generous, God's grace will abound to us. You know, sometimes people think that we give more to get more. But that's not the way the Bible teaches us. The Bible doesn't teach us to give more so that our standard of living could increase. The Bible teaches us to give more so that our standard of giving can increase. That we would see that God enables us to give more so that we can give more. That we would be open-handed. And that's why my dad's testimony was so powerful. Because after navigating his estate and thinking I knew how generous he was, when all the numbers were out on the page and I saw how much he gave, I wondered, how did he do it? Well, it showed me his faith in the Son of God. And may our generous lives reflect our faith in the Son of God. And I can't tell you how many times, again and again and again, it's not about how much. It's about your heart. And so let's look at our heart to help us see how much. Because how much we give is a reflection of the way we're thinking, the way we're feeling, the way we're believing. Let me ask you three questions. What is a generous gift for you? What does it mean to be a generous giver? What is a joyful gift to you? What does it mean to have a joy and sincerity as you give? What does it mean to be sacrificial in your giving? Because we are called to give in such a way that we feel it. We are called to give in such a way that it hurts. Let me remind you of the theme verse of verses, chapters 8 and 9. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That, that Jesus gave in such a way that was lavishly generous. He wasn't up there with an eyedropper, just a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there. But he was lavishly generous. And for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. He traded his riches for your poverty so that we could have his wealth. And the wealth that we find in Christ isn't the wealth of our bank account, but it's his righteousness. It's the good life that he's called us to live. It's a life that's dedicated and surrendered to him based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I see this grace of God abounding through the work of Christ in our lives, church. It's an amazing thing to witness in you. And I pray Man, I pray you see it in me. But I want to gauge our hearts for a moment. I want to give us a little, uh, uh, a little exercise that we can do to gauge our hearts. You might have heard of the Old Testament principle called the tithe. The tithe is based upon uh, the principle of first fruits. 
And the first fruits is where farmers would uh, harvest a crop. And after the harvest of this crop, they would offer the first and the best to the Lord. So the, the, the first of the crop and the best of the crop wasn't that was, which, which was going into the grocery stores and for sale right away. No, this was dedicated to God's work to build God's kingdom in his chosen people, Israel. In the same way as we think about the tithe, we should think about how we are giving our first and best to God. That it belongs to him, that we recognize he gave it to us and our entrusting of his work and building is his kingdom, is us giving back to him. Now, here's why I think the 10% number is a helpful window. Number one, it's biblical. Now, I want to kind of move past the conversation of, should I give 10%? Should I give this percent? Listen, I want to use this as an opportunity to gaze into our hearts and to say, am I being faithful to God with what he's given me? Am I being faithful to God with what he's given me? Because the the recent statistics show us that in the church, regular churchgoers only give 2.5% of their their income to charitable giving. And I would say that that's probably not where God wants us to be. But God wants us to grow in the grace of giving, in the discipline of giving. And so I think a percentage is helpful to gauge the window. Now, your window might say, oh, 7% or 11%, or maybe it's just start at 1% or 2% so that you can begin somewhere. But Decide in your heart an amount. Ask God to help you and give in a way that's sacrificial, joyful, and generous. Allow God to do that heart check in you. And I also want to remind you that generosity isn't just giving to the church. It's giving to other needs. There are needs all around us. There's poverty, there's church planting, there's adoption, there's fostering, there's helping the sick, there's helping the disenfranchised, there's fighting against human sex trafficking. These are good works for God's people to be burdened by and to give generously towards because God's kingdom is coming and God is able. And listen, don't neglect this. God has chosen you. So as the grace will abound both to you and through you. And see, he is sufficient for all these things at all times, all places, and all people. Number two, we give glory to God in our generosity. Verses 11 through 15. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing with many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of your surpassing, the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Do you know that every time you write that check, every time you give that gift, every time that you commit yourself to something that's 
not really about you, but about God's kingdom. It's something that's done for God's glory. And it says something about your confession in Christ. <laughs> I mean, just to think about it, you know, it, it, it's saying, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. And as we give that gift back to God for his work and we put it in his hands, man, we give glory to God. I think about it at Cross Point downtown and, and all the things that God has called us to as a church and how small I feel in the bigness of all that needs to be accomplished. I want to reach the city of Orlando, but then I also want to think about how can we plant other churches in Orlando, which by God's grace, we're giving towards that. We're working towards that. And planting churches outside of Orlando, sending churches out and seeing churches planted. We're planting a church in Fethiye, Turkey, a city of 150,000. And the church that God is using, uh, uh, that we are uh, we're planting, is the only gospel presence in that city, in a Muslim nation. And that there is a... a, a a beachhead for Christ that's there to advance God's kingdom. The only way we are going to be people that give for God's glory and live for God's glory is that we are a people that realize that Jesus is all that we need. John Piper says it this way. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. It means that as it relates to generosity and giving and money, it means that my heart cannot be satisfied with money while simultaneously be satisfied with Christ. Two things can't occupy the throne of my heart. Jesus has to sit there. And if Jesus isn't sitting there, then God is not most glorified in you. But when God is most glorified in us, it comes when we say Jesus is enough. He's enough. Man, I, I can't talk about this series without talking about idolatry in our hearts related to money. I, I noticed that not just for you, but for me. The last four weeks, of, we've been talking about this. Man, I've just realized money is, a, is an idol in my life. Money can be an idol that sits on the throne of my heart. And I've been trying to memorize Romans 1.18. And this is Paul's famous passage on idolatry. And I have here a fresh $20 bill loaned from me. I might steal it uh, from Pastor Josiah for the recording. And, you know... As I weigh this money that belongs to God, I kind of think, man, this belongs to me, but, but then I would take it against Romans 1.18. I just meditate on it, meditate on it. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. They push it down. For what can be known about God has been made plain to them for God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of this world and the things that have been made. 
And therefore, we are without excuse. So when I think about that meditation, I see as Paul says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worship the created things rather than the creator. What we've done is we've taken the image of a mortal man and we've exchanged it for the mortal and the invisible and worthy God filled of, with eternal power and dominion over all and we've reduced him to a piece of paper. And we've let this sit on our hearts, the throne of our hearts. And that's sin. And that's idolatry. And I want at the end of our lives for us to say, we've laid it all down for the cause of the gospel. I just made it rain, by the way. <laughs> we've laid it all down for the cause of the gospel. Another meditation that's good for us as we meditate on that is this, Romans eleven thirty three through 36. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has ever been his counselor, who's ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. What you live towards is what you give towards. And a good response for us after reading that doxology is this. Romans 12.1 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Crosspoint, I'm preaching passionately right now because I want us to grow in this together. But I want to be honest with you. You're a generous church, and I thank you for this. We can all grow in generosity together. And I want to challenge you as a church member to do your part, to ask the question, to, to get to the heart of where you play in this. It could be a meager gift or it could be a gift that you think is exponentially large. I, to be honest, don't care. <laughs> I just want God to use your heart in expressing generosity to God's people for his kingdom and his glory. I want to tell you that right now, we're not doing this series for anything, really, as far as we just got here in the book of 2 Corinthians, and here we are. Our church is about $3,000 behind budget after almost six, after just a little over six months. That's not much considering we've had a COVID-19 crisis, and you're giving generously, but You've given above and beyond because you're not just given to our general church budget. You've also given to our COVID-19 benevolence fund. And that fund has allowed us to meet the needs as they come to our church. As they come in real time, without question, we're able to meet needs that we see. Let me tell you a little bit of where, about where some of that benevolence money went to. In the early days of this crisis, we know that Italy was hard hit and there's a church plant in Italy that was struggling for survival and we gave them $500. Wasn't a lot, but we gave them 
We also know that restaurants and businesses and people that were working in the service industry were hard hit. So we went to some local service industry places in Curry Ford West, and we gave $400 in Publix gift cards, and we gave them to the employees that we knew were struggling. And then we also had the needs of our own church body, as many of you have faced financial hardship. And we invited you to come and ask, if you have need, let us help. And I'm going to say it again, if you have need, let us help. Because your church is given generously so that you can be well cared for because God has given generously to us. And so with $2,000 in, we almost have $2,000 out. And we believe that God is going to continue to allow us to give generously to the advancement of the gospel in the midst of this coronavirus crisis, not just in the past, not just today, but also tomorrow. Because we're asking you, church, to be a generous people, but we ourselves pledge to you as leaders, as elders, that we are going to be a generous church. And as I think about what we're able to do and what we've done, I can say like Paul, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I thank God for you, Crosspoint. I want so much for us to grow in generosity together. Why? So we can live and give for God's kingdom. So we can live and give for God's glory. And as John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. There are few words beyond that that I can offer. As I think about our body of Christ, I thank you. As I think about the work of Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, became poor for our sake, so that we by his poverty might become rich. Lord, let us be generous as you've been generous to us. In Jesus' name, amen.